Welcome to the Bethel World Outreach Church Podcast. It's our prayer that wherever you are in life, today's message will help you draw closer in your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. Are you ready for the word? This is our year of what? Amen. This is our year of glory. We've been preaching for several weeks on that theme. And last week, we spoke to you and we said, in essence, whenever God gives us a prophetic promise, whether it's through your pastor or through the mouth of a prophet, or it is a word that he speaks to you directly by his spirit to your own heart, that word is sure if God speaks it. But we do have a responsibility to respond to that word. Uh, When God is promising you things that have to do with your destiny, your assignment uh, on earth, he requires us to believe that word and then to take that word that we believe and pray in accordance to that word and to act in accordance with that word. And that's a very, very critical and very important principle. Amen? Prayer is a non-negotiable part of God's plan for the fulfillment of his promises. Faith, believing what God said, is non-negotiable. And so I'm I'm so excited to see what is beginning to happen. Um, The Lord not only said that this would be a year of glory for us, we receive words during our five nights of prayer that we can expect acceleration, a promise of acceleration, elevation, Breakthrough, fullness of time. Say that. Acceleration, elevation, breakthrough, fullness of time. Hallelujah. And in keeping with what we've taught you, that word that has come requires a response from us. It requires a response of faith. We need to believe that word. Amen? We need to pray in accordance with that word, and then we need to act in a manner that's consistent with what God is saying. That's our part. And when we do our part, God is able to fully manifest his promises in our lives, in Jesus' name. And so I want to continue. I, I, I'm excited because I believe we're beginning to see the acceleration already. Um, and we're beginning to see people rise up and make a fresh commitment uh, to prayer, to believing God's word and to praying to see God's word fulfilled. On Friday, we saw nearly 50 men show up at our prayer meeting. Amen. And for an hour and a half, yeah, come on, let, let's celebrate that. Amen. That's almost 100% growth. Amen. That's acceleration. Amen. We doubled um, in, in, in one week. We went from 25 to 50 in Jesus' name. And these men prayed for an hour and a half. The men prayed. We got praying men and we, in, in our church. Say hallelujah. For an hour and a half, these men prayed. And guess who they were praying for? They were praying for you. They were praying for elevation. They were praying for breakthrough. They were praying for acceleration. They were praying, this is the fullness of time for you, for your families, for your career, your businesses, for your church. Thank God that the men are rising up in a new way to pray. Say hallelujah. Wonderful. And we believe that wonderful things happen. One of the prayer requests that one of the men brought to us had to do with his concern about what's happening in D.C., he said that in 10 days, there have been 10 murders. Young people, young men, for the most part, killing themselves. 
10 days, 10 murders. And so it's a call to prayer. And so he sat in a chair and the men prayed that God will intervene and that God will begin to bring an end to this murderous atmosphere, whatever is causing them to feel that they need to kill each other, that the Holy Ghost will begin to work in their hearts and minds and that the murder rate will begin to go down. May God move quickly so that it stops in Jesus' name. And instead of these young boys taking their lives, they start to aspire to live and to help others to live. Isn't that something worth praying about? Say hallelujah. So the men prayed for that, but they didn't just pray for the young men in D.C. They also prayed for the young men that are in our community, who are in our church, and who you know, encounter all kinds of tests and trials and temptations out there when they go to school or they go to work and the dangers that they're exposed to. And so these men prayed for the young men in our church. And not only did they pray for the young men, they prayed that God would use them, the men, to help minister to, mentor, counsel the younger men in the church. Isn't that wonderful? Say hallelujah. Amen. That's awesome to see God already beginning to fulfill that promise. Hallelujah, of acceleration among us. And then I wasn't present, but I heard from Pastor Chris that there was a huge attendance of women as well at your prayer meeting, that you had quite a turnout, but not only did you show up in numbers, the Spirit of God was working, and, and there were words of knowledge that were being brought forth and gifts of healing, and somebody got a word of knowledge of a lady whose, uh, was it left breast or right breast, uh, but of course had been hurting her for some time, and the word of knowledge was given. There was a lady there who had that problem. They prayed, and the lady testified the pain completely vanished. And then another member of our, of our praise and worship team that was just up here, uh, she had, had been having a knee problem for some time, and nobody knew about it. But one of our sisters got a word of knowledge, spoke about it. They prayed for her, and she was instantly healed, and she was testifying by raising her hand when she was here. So, ladies and gentlemen, when, when words of knowledge, gifts of healing are operating, that's glory. That is God's glory already beginning to manifest. Say hallelujah. And when we start to acknowledge what God is doing and thank God for what is doing, guess what happens? It will increase. So raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, for the manifestation of your gifts, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, working of miracles. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And I declare we shall see the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestation of God's power in greater and greater ways being manifested in us, through us, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So this is tremendous to see our, the response to prayer and this fresh commitment. And so what I want to do today, I want us to continue to talk about prayer uh, because it's, it's important that, that we don't only pray, but that we pray and get results. Amen. We don't want to spend one hour, two hours in prayer and don't get results because what I hope you will see today is that your prayers, your prayers are powerful. Say it by faith. Say my prayers are powerful. Amen. When you pray as a believer, you release tremendous power that is according to the Amplified Bible, dynamic in its working. And it's able to accomplish awesome things. And so I want us to go to James chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 16 to verse 18. Hallelujah. And I want you to see what the Holy Spirit recalls there, and it's there for our benefit. James is talking about Elijah, but he's talking about Elijah for our benefit. So let's read this together. 
Confess your trespasses to one another and pray. And do what? And do what? Pray. That's something we need to do, right? God doesn't pray. We pray. God answers, but we pray. All right, say to your neighbor, you pray, God answers. You don't pray, no answer. All right? So pray for one another that you may be healed. The, everybody, come on, put some energy into this. This is the word of God. I told you last week we need to treasure the word like Mary treasured the word. Put that word in our hearts, pull it out and look at it and put it in our hearts. Because this word has the power to do awesome things for us. So let's treasure this word and let's read it like it's, it's precious and it's treasure. All right? Say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, amplifies it, makes tremendous power available. So you could consider prayer or liken prayer to a generator. And just like the generator generates power that can cause your TV to work, the lights to come on, the air conditioner to cool your house. Prayer is like a generator that literally generates through the power of the Holy Spirit, power. Say power. Say power. Hallelujah. But it's not the prayer of just anybody. It's the prayer of a righteous man. How many of you here are righteous? Because you got to be righteous to be able to pray effectively. Raise your hand if you're righteous. Raise it high. I see some of you like this. You can't be halfway righteous. There are only two positions. You're either righteous or you're not. There's no halfway righteous. There's no middle ground. Okay? You're either righteous. That means you have perfect standing before God. Perfect standing before God. The scripture says, that we literally become the righteousness of God in Christ. Either you're totally righteous or you're totally unrighteous. There's no in-between. So how many of you are totally and completely righteous? Fewer people lifted their hands. But let me tell you a secret. That is what salvation does. That is what Jesus accomplished for you and for me. All of us, on the basis of our performance, are unrighteous. The law could not change that. So, under the Ten Commandments, we remain unrighteous. Jesus came to make us righteous. So the Bible says, Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, so that we who believe in him may become the righteousness of God. So you're not just righteous, you are the very righteousness of God, which means you are as righteous as God himself. Jesus Christ is no more righteous than you if you are in him. And it's a gift. It is not something you earn. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, so nobody can boast. So when you raise your hand and you say, I am perfectly righteous, you're not boasting about your performance at all. You're boasting about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you on the cross. Amen? So the minute you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is what happened. He exchanged your sin nature. He took the sinner out 
In fact, that old man was crucified, done away with. And he put him, himself into you and gave you a brand new spirit. And that spirit is created after his image in true righteousness and holiness. You are right now in Christ as perfectly righteous in the sight of God as Jesus is. So let me ask a question. And if you have received Jesus as your Savior, every hand should go out. He said, but I don't feel righteous. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It's something you believe because God said it and he cannot lie. Now, when you start believing it, you will start feeling something. Joy and peace will be the result of believing it. Boldness in prayer will be the result of believing it. Are you hearing me? So what's important is that you know what God has said and then you make the decision to believe what God has said in spite of what you see. Are you hearing me? So one more time, how many of you here are perfectly righteous in God's sight? If I were you, I would raise two hands. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah. Every time the devil tells you that you're not righteous, you should say, devil, by my works, I'm not. But in Christ Jesus, I am perfectly righteous. <laughs> Amen. And let me just spend a few moments here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minister to you, okay? You, we need to hear this, okay? We've said it before, but we've got to say it over and over again because the enemy comes and steals it, and we're not diligent like we should be to treasure it, so it gets stolen from us. All right, so let me repeat it. Well, to be righteous in God's sight means that God sees you and treats you as though you have never once broken any commandment. So you ought to be able to say, God, I'm coming to you in Jesus. And God, if you look into my account that, that is in heaven, you will see there's no record of one sin I have ever committed. The devil will say, but you told a lie. God will say, well, it's not there. I, I don't, oh, I, I don't, but God, uh, I cussed the other day, but it's not there. Now, you're foolish if you lie. You're foolish if you're cussing. And you may be giving the devil opportunity to mess with you and mess with your life. But that sin was paid for by Jesus. And so God has not charged it to your account if you're in Christ. It's already paid for. It was punished in Jesus. So now when God sees you, he treats you as someone who has no sin that you need to pay for. Why? Not because God is light on sin, but because Christ paid for it. So to be righteous in God's sight means God's look into your account and literally, literally, Oh, amen. When you look in the mirror, say, look at someone who has no record of any sin against them anywhere in the universe. The problem is in here, but in heaven, it's settled. Come on, again, I think you should raise two hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Amen? But it's better than that. To be righteous is even better than that. It is not only for God to treat you as though you've never broken a commandment. Because remember now, you are the righteousness of God. If you're the righteousness of God, how can he ascribe sin to the righteousness of God? For him to ascribe sin to you and hold you accountable is to ascribe sin to himself. 
It is even better than that there is no sin, but he treats you as though you have perfectly obeyed every single commandment. Say, my, 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 this is grace. This is good news. This sounds like foolishness. And that's why the Bible says the gospel is foolishness to some people. But to us who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. So Jesus' perfect righteousness, which means that righteousness that is free of all sin, because Jesus never sinned, and that righteousness that is, is perfectly obedient in all things, that righteousness which Jesus obtained on earth by living a perfect life has now been given to you and me and belongs to us. It's a gift, but it's the most precious gift any man or any woman can ever have. Treasure it. Hold it close to your heart. Meditate upon it. Never get used to it. Never take it for granted. Keep reminding yourself and keep rekindling in your heart and mind your love, your appreciation, your gratitude for this most precious gift that you can come boldly into the presence of God and obtain answers to prayer. Because whenever you come, you're coming in the name of Jesus as one who is perfectly righteous. Now, the Bible says when a righteous man prays, it makes what? Great power. That means when you pray, your prayers make tremendous power available to accomplish God's will. Now, go to, go to the next verse, 17. To give you an example, he says, look at Elijah. And he doesn't say Elijah was a great prophet. Elijah was special. He says, look at Elijah. Elijah was a man just like you. He put on his pants, well, he didn't have pants, whatever he wore, but he put on his pants one leg at a time. Elijah was hungry. Elijah even got discouraged. At one point, he said, God, let me die because it looks like I'm the only one who loves God. Elijah was a man just like you and me. Hmm? He went to the bathroom. He slept. He got discouraged at times. But the scripture says, Elijah, a man with a nature like ours, as a, he was a human being. He wasn't an angel. He did what? He, what did Elijah do? What did this man do? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for how long? Three years. Listen to me. For three years and six months, the heavens were closed, and the heavens did not allow one drop of water to escape and fall to earth. Heaven was locked three and a half years. That was the effect. Science believes in the law of cause and effect, right? For every action, there's an equal and an opposite Reaction for every effect, there is a cause. Nothing happens for nothing. That's science, right? So, whenever you have an effect, you want to look at the cause. Something causes, something causes, something causes. 
Well, the effect was three and a half years of no rain. Now I've got to look for the cause. And the explanation provided is that the cause for this effect that locked the heavens for three and a half years was the prayer of one ordinary human being. You didn't hear me. The prayer of one ordinary person, one person opened his mouth to God, asked for divine intervention, prayed to Almighty God, and the prayer of one man was the cause of this effect. My goodness, I said to you, your prayers are powerful. Are you hearing me? If, if, if prayer can accomplish this, if this is the kind of outcome that prayer can produce, then you know what? I don't want to play with prayer. I don't want to neglect prayer. Because if prayer can do this, wow, I wonder what prayer can do for my family. I wonder what prayer can do for my church and for the members of my church. I wonder what prayer can do for my community. I wonder what prayer can do for DC. I wonder what prayer can do for Olney and Montgomery County. I wonder what kind of effect my prayers can produce if the prayer of one man in the Old Testament was able to produce that kind of result. Now imagine if one man prays and gets that kind of result. I wonder what type of power could be generated if I pray and you pray and we all pray and we're praying about the same thing, believing the same thing, speaking the same thing. My brother, my sister, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, but my God, I pray that in 2020, we will begin to see and we will begin to hear and we will begin to experience like we've never experienced personally before, the manifestation, the effect of prayer upon your families, upon your children, upon your finances, upon your spiritual life, upon the church, upon this community for the glory of God. If you are in agreement with me, say, Lord, in Jesus' name, so be it. So he prayed and his prayers produce an amazing effect. Hallelujah. So he is an example of what prayer can do. But he is also an example of how to pray those kinds of prayers that will produce a result. Again, I don't want us to just get excited about prayer and pray and pray and pray and nothing happens. I want us to pray and release power to get results. So I've got to ask myself, how do I pray so that the power required to manifest to glory is released when I pray? I don't want us to get together on Friday night or you to go to your closet and just repeat words and spend a whole hour, spend two hours, and when you get done, nothing changes in circumstances, nothing changes in people's minds and heart, 
Everything remains the same. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not intended to keep things the same. The purpose of prayer is to release power to change people and change circumstances. Are there some people and circumstances that need changing? Oh, come on, answer me. Are there some people you know and some circumstances that need changing? Well, we're learning that prayer can generate the power through the Holy Spirit to effect those changes. But again, I don't just want to open my mouth because, you know, the Pharisee came to pray, remember? And, and the Bible says he prayed, uh, but he prayed to himself, the scripture says. His prayers didn't do anything. He had a lot of words. And Jesus said that some people who think they'll be hurt because of their much praying. It's not how long you pray. Now, praying long has its place, but it is not how long you pray that is going to produce the result, right? It's not the quantity, but it's the quality of prayer. But you know what? The greater the quality, the more we will engage in prayer. And so the quantity will increase because when you begin to experience quality praying, nobody got to tell you, oh, you didn't hear me. The more the quality of my prayer, the, the, the greater the quality of my prayer, the more I'm going to want to pray. And so what's going to happen? When the quality goes up, the quantity will go up, and it won't be because of law. It'll be because you want to. You see, under grace, we pray because we want to. We see the value of it, and we want to. We see the purpose of it, and we want to. It's not a law. It's something I want to because I've got a revelation that my prayers are powerful. Because when I pray, it is the righteous man who is praying. When I speak, it is the righteous man who is speaking. Are you hearing me? So, Father, the righteousness of God is speaking to you. And the righteousness of God is asking. Father, the righteousness of God is speaking. And the righteousness of God is decreeing. Devil, the righteousness of God is addressing you and you will listen. Come on, get used to it. It said, Devil, the righteousness of God is now speaking and you shall listen. Hallelujah. So let's just take a quick Bible lesson out of Elijah's experience. So the scripture says, Elijah prayed. He did what? He did what? He didn't complain? Well, he did a little bit of that. But after complaining, then he prayed. And after he prayed, he went back to complaining again. And God had to rebuke him. <laughs> he was a man just like us, right? Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to be perfect? That personally you can have these flaws and you can still be glory. When I say perfect, I'm talking about in terms of your attitude and actions. Your righteousness is perfect because it's his gift to you. Okay? But in terms of your attitudes, your emotions, we still deal with that kind of stuff. But it does not negate the power that we have in prayer. Because we're praying as the righteousness of God. And we're, oh, I'll talk about that next week. I don't want to go before myself. So what, what happened here? He prayed... But here's the scripture says, he prayed. Now, the story is found in 1 Kings 17 and 18. How many of you got a Bible? You own a Bible. Okay. You own it? Say, neighbor, you ought to read it sometime. I thank you. It's good you own it, but you really, really ought to read it sometime. All right? So if you were to read it, you will find that in 1 Kings 17 and 18, you have the story that this verse is referring to. And here's the story in, in, in short. 
Israel under Ahab and Jezebel once again had turned to worshiping idols. And so they were no longer worshiping God, they were worshiping false gods. And, and God said in his word, he said that when you who are my people, you begin to worship idols, this is what I'm gonna do. He said, I'll shut the heavens. Because of course, they, 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 this was an agriculture economy, so they depended upon water. When the heavens are short, you're not gonna grow anything. You understand? You, 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 your business isn't gonna work. Things are gonna get real hard when there's no rain and you're a farmer. So God was saying, if you start worshiping idols and all that kind of stuff, I am going to shut the heavens. So that was God's word. It was what? God's word. And Israel had turned to idols. And so Elijah went in and Elijah prayed. And what did Elijah do? He put God in remembrance of his word. I'm making a point. Because the prayers that would generate power are the prayers that are based upon the word of God. The word that he has given in the scriptures that reveal his will must be the basis for our prayer. The prophetic word that he has given us that has borne witness with our spirit that is in the, the word of God must become the foundation of our prayer. So Elijah didn't just show up and say there's not going to be any rain. Elijah knew what God had said. God has said when these conditions exist, this is what I will do. So Elijah took God's word, went to God in prayer, and said, God, this is what you said. This is what your word says. It's time for the heavens to close. Are you hearing me? And after he had prayed, he went to Ahab and he went to Israel and said, listen to me. As the Lord my God lives, there will not be a drop of water that will fall from the heavens onto the earth until I say it. My, my, that's an ordinary man. But why is he speaking with such authority? Where does this authority come from? For him to be able to stake with such boldness, there will be no rain. It was because he had already gone to God in prayer, taking the word which God has spoken. Rehearse that word in God's ear. Pray concerning that word. And heard God say to him, it's so, it's so, it's so. And with that authority, he spoke. And when he spoke, it was exactly as he said. He decreed a thing, and God established it for three and a half years. Listen to me. Elijah was a man just like you and me. And he prayed according to the word and shut the heavens for three and a half years. Your prayers are powerful. I said your prayers are what? Now, right after he shut the heavens, Elijah went and he said, listen now, let's let, because the, the, the prophets of Baal, how many were there? 120 prophets of Baal. He says, let all the prophets that preach and teach you to worship Baal, I'm going to put them to a test. Let them meet me on Mount Carmel. And we are going to see who is really God, what God answers, which God answers, prayer. Because the God who answers by prayer, by fire, the God who answers prayer 
with fire, he is God. So, so there was a test to see whether God really answers the prayer of a person who prays to him. And he says, okay, let's do it. You got 120, 120 against one. So the odds are against me. But you go ahead and pray. And let's see which God will answer by fire. They prepared the sacrifice. And the Bible says it, the prophets begin to pray. They started six o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock, crying out to Baal, crying out to Baal, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, all day. Uh, Elijah decided to have fun at their expense. Elijah said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe he's taking his afternoon nap, his siesta. So you may need to, to, to yell a little bit louder. Uh, or maybe, you know, after they, 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 they cut themselves, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He said, well, maybe Baal is gone to the bathroom. Maybe he's in the toilet. You probably need to wait until you get out of the toilet to hear your prayer. But he made fun of them. The point is, they prayed from sunup to sundown. Nothing happened. Then Elijah said, okay, now that it's clear that Baal doesn't answer prayer, let's see whether my God will hear my prayer. Let's see if my prayer will release power or not. He says, okay, prepare the sacrifice. In fact, let's make it doubly hard. Pour barrels of water, barrels of water, so that, so that it's, it's almost impossible for this thing to light. After they had done that, the Bible says Elijah stood and he prayed. He did what? He did what? The prayer of the righteous man makes great power available. He prayed. And when he prayed, the scripture tells us fire came from heaven. And it licked up the water and consumed the sacrifice. And it was made evident to all present that our God is the true God. And if there's a man to pray, there is a God to answer. Say that, if there's a man to pray, there is a God to answer. But let's make it personal. If I pray, there's a God who will hear me. If I pray, there's a God who will answer. If I pray, there's a God who will release power. If I pray, fire will come from heaven. If I pray, God will move. Hallelujah. Amen. And then, after the time that Elijah prayed and there was no water, the scripture says, after three years, how many years? Three years. God spoke to Elijah and said, now Elijah, I'm about to send the rain. I'm about to do what? Send the rain. So Elijah had received a word from God. God has spoken to him. He had received a word, just like we received the prophetic word, or just like you received the word when you're spending time with God in the scriptures and the Holy Spirit quickens a promise to you. Elijah had received a word, rain is coming. I'm about to send the rain. Now, what did Elijah do? Elijah immediately sent word to Ahab. And he said, Ahab, get ready. Get ready. Come on, say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> he said, Elijah, get ready because I hear, Ahab, get ready because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear what? The 
Now remember now, all Elijah had heard was a word. But the word that he heard from God has such an impact upon him that he declared, and this was a faith statement, because in the natural there was no rain. There was no physical rain. There was nothing in the heavens. The heavens were still shut up. But Elijah began to say, I hear, I hear, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Get ready, Ahab. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. When as yet there was no sign of rain, but he had a word and he began to speak it. Oh, I wonder if anybody is willing to say, I see abundance in 2020. I see, I see acceleration. Oh God. I see acceleration. Why? Because God has spoken. I see elevation for my family. I see elevation for my church. I see elevation for my business. I see elevation for my community. I see breakthrough. I see breakthrough happening in this situation. I see breakthrough happening in this. I see it. I see it. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound of victory in my life. I hear the sound of abundance in my life. I hear the sound of plenty in my life. I hear the sound of spiritual growth and fruitfulness in my life. I hear the sound of the spirit I hear the sound of glory hey I wonder if there's anybody who's, who believes the word of God enough that you will begin to say you see and you will begin to say you hear because even though you don't see it with your eyes or your physical ears, in your heart, in your spirit, you see it happening. It must come to pass. God has said it and I see it. God has said it, I believe it. God has said it and I hear it. I hear the sound of glory. Say that, I hear. Oh, in the upper room, the sound of glory was like a mighty rushing wind. The Bible says it was like a rushing mighty wind. Say, I hear the sound of glory manifesting in my life manifesting in my family manifesting in my finances manifesting in my church i hear the sound of glory i see acceleration i see breakthrough i see elevation i see it is the fullness of time i see it i hear it i see it i hear it i see it is there anybody who has enough faith in what god has said to begin to open your mouth like Elijah did and begin to speak on the basis of that word and to declare what God has said long before there's any physical change or manifestation. So he got a word and he began to declare by faith what he heard and what he saw. Now, that's important. After saying to Ahab, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain, which was pure faith based upon what God has said. You would think that because God has said it and he was sure that God would bring it to pass, he would go home and sleep and, and just leave it for God to bring to pass. But he did just the opposite. If you read the story, after receiving the word, even as he was declaring, I hear the abundance of rain, he went to the mountain. Now, please don't go to no physical mountain and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to go to a physical mountain because somehow God's going to hear me. You're already on Mount Zion. You understand? In Christ, we are already on Mount Zion. You don't need a physical mountain to go stand on. You're already standing on Mount Zion. Say hallelujah. Amen. 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 
Amen. So Elijah goes to the, to the mountain because he, he didn't have Mount Zion to stand on. But what did he do? The Bible says he went to Mount Zion, having heard the word of God, and having beginning to confess what he saw or what he what was hearing in his heart. He got on his knees and put his leg between his head between his knees and did what? Prayed. Prayed what? Prayed concerning the word he had just received. Prayed the word he had just received. Hmm? And after prayer, he told his servant, go and look at the sea and see, look at the heavens and see what's happening. And the servant went and looked and he came back. He said, man of God, I don't see anything. Has anybody here received a word and prayed and saw nothing? And because you saw nothing, you thought that your prayer was powerless. Let's learn from Elijah. Man of God, I see nothing. Elijah got back on his knees, put his head between his, his knees and prayed again. Go and see. The servant went, man of God, I don't see anything. Two times, three times, four times, five times, six times. Mind you, there is a word from God. This man is praying God's word. He's praying God's will. But he has prayed six times and nothing looked different. Too often, we quit after we've prayed six times when we know God has spoken. Now, if there's no word, then don't even start praying. But if there is a word, no, you didn't hear me. Oh, I wish I had some folks. I said if there is a word in Scripture that the Holy Spirit has revealed to you and quickened to you, if there's a word that has come prophetically and bears witness with your spirit that this is God's word to me, then hear me. Hear me. You may have prayed once. You may have prayed two times, three times, four times, five times, six times. Hear me. If God has spoken it, your prayer has the power to bring about the manifestation of that word. If you got to pray again the seventh time, you go ahead and pray the seventh time because God cannot lie. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, now, what, what was Elijah praying? I, you know, I, I wasn't there physically, but I, I, I believe I know what he was praying or how he was praying. Because he already said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And I believe every time he got on his knees and put his head between his knees, he was saying, God, you said it. I believe it. I haven't seen anything yet with my eyes or heard anything yet with these ears. But in my heart, God, I want you to know I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. You spoke it. As far as I'm concerned, it's already happening in the realm of the spirit. I hear the sound 
of the abundance of rain. I'm expecting the rain to manifest because I already hear the sound. In the realm of the spirit, I already hear the sound. I already see this word being fulfilled in the realm of the spirit. So I don't care what I don't see in the natural. Here is what I stand. Here is where I stand. God, I see it. You cannot lie. It has to come to pass. I know it's coming to pass because in my spirit, I already hear it. In my spirit, I already see it. And I am therefore declaring it. I'm calling things that be not. Things that have not yet manifested, I am calling things that are not yet manifested as though they are. Am I talking to myself or am I talking to you? You need to hear me. There are some promises God has made to you personally. Some prophetic utterances that have come to you through the word. And there's a prophecy God has placed upon this ministry for 2020. And what we ought to be doing right now is what Elijah did. We ought to ask ourselves, has God spoken? Is this a word from the Lord? Is there a promise? Is this what he has said to us as a people? Is this a promise that is confirmed in his word? Does this bear witness of my spirit? Well, if it is so, then God, even though I haven't seen yet any change in my circumstances in my heart I hear the sound in my heart I see the fulfillment I see this church going from glory to glory I see my life going from glory to glory I see my family going from glory to glory. I see my career going from glory to glory I see my marriage going from glory to glory I see breakthrough where there has been no breakthrough in that situation God where there seemed to be no movement it looks like the heavens are shut there's no breakthrough coming through nothing coming through nothing coming through for years nothing has come through but God I know you promised breakthrough and so today I want to say in your ears I see breakthrough I see breakthrough I hear breakthrough I see acceleration I hear acceleration I see elevation I hear elevation I see fullness of time I hear fullness of time God, I hear it, I see it, I believe it, I'm standing here, and I expect it. God, I thank you. God, I praise you. God, you will bring it to pass, because it's so. You said it, it's such a, I believe it. Amen. And so this is what Elijah did. He took the word. Say, he took the word. He took the promise, and he prayed on it. But he prayed according to the promise. He prayed as one who believed the promise. He prayed as one who knew that what God said already is. Are you listening to me? Hear me. I said, I am so encouraged by the zeal of the new commitment we are making to personal prayer and corporate prayer. And in the name of Jesus, I'm declaring now, I see that acceleration. Oh God, I see that acceleration in my prayer life, in our prayer life. I see that acceleration in the prayer life of this church. I see that acceleration in the prayer life of this people. God, I see it. I see it. I see it. I hear the sound of a whole church pray. I hear the sound of hundreds and hundreds of people gather together for prayer, for worship. I hear the sound, God, of corporate prayer going up with one voice making our request. I hear the sound of corporate praise. I hear the sound of corporate worship, God. I hear the sound and I see your glory being manifested. Amen. 
Your prayer, your prayer alone is powerful. Elijah was one man, ordinary man, just like you. And he prayed. Can you imagine what happens when we come together and also pray together? And so, hear me. I want us to pray and get results. Because our prayers can produce results beyond our imagination. But hear me. We've got to pray according to the word. It is not just prayer as simply lifting up your voice and asking God to do something that generates power. It is prayer according to the word. It is what? Prayer according to the word. The reason Elijah could be sure that his prayers would produce the results was because he first had God's word. And he prayed on the basis of that word in accordance with that word and got results. So, I want to make sure that in our zeal for God's glory and as we pray about God's glory, I want to make sure that we're moving forward and not working backwards. Because if you pray outside of God's word or not in accordance to God's word, you will actually regress rather than move forward. So I want to pray correctly. And I need to know how to pray about the glory so that we move forward and not regress or move backwards. What do you mean, Bishop? There are two types of prayers God cannot answer. And if we are praying those prayers, no matter how, how loud we're praying or how long we're praying, instead of moving forward, we'll be moving backwards. So let me tell you what they are. Oh, this is so good. I don't know how you can sleep on this. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Man, I'm giving you filet. Somebody said, I don't like filet mignon, so I give you cassava leaf and rice. <laughs> Amen. I give you some goat soup and some fufu. Yeah, igusi. What else? Whatever it is, eh? Ah, cheke. I'm giving you stuff that will nourish you and strengthen you in the realm of the spirit and make you a giant. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. When, when it's time for you to pray, I want the devil to tremble. When it's time for you to pray, I want angels to stand at attention. When it's time for you to pray, I want you to know that God is hearing. Hallelujah. So there are two types of prayer. You shouldn't waste your time praying these kind of prayers because, because really you'll be regressing, working backwards. Here's one type of prayer God does not answer. God does not answer your prayers for something he's already given you. Hmm? Many times we're praying, asking God to do something he's already done. Asking us to give us something he's already given to us in Christ Jesus. And I've been teaching you all that you have received by grace. Now, if you begin to pray for God to give you things that he has already given you by grace, you are regressing. We want to move forward from where we are, not move backwards. So I've got to ask myself, what is it 
that I already have received from God concerning glory. And instead of asking God to give me what he has already given me in regard to his glory, I need to be moving forward on the basis of what he has given me and my prayer now should be in alignment with what God has already accomplished for me in Christ. So let me give you an example. God doesn't answer prayers that, that he's already answered. Uh, elder, would you ask me, let's imagine that this is a manual for something. Ask me for the manual, please. So he just made a prayer request. Imagine, well, okay, let me, let me be just, it's not, you made a request, not a prayer request, because you don't pray to me, right? So you, you, you made a request for a manual. Bishop, please give me a manual. So I hear the prayer request, it's according to my will. I want him to have the manual, because he can benefit from it. So I do what? I give him the manual. I, who has the manual now? Now, if tomorrow he calls me, Bishop, I need that manual. I can't do without the manual. I know you are faithful. I know you, you promised me the manual. Give me the manual. Wednesday, he, he calls again for the manual. Thursday, hear me. I cannot grant him that request. Why? I've already granted it to him. He already has the manual, so I can't answer and grant him that request. Similarly, God cannot give you what he's already given you. He cannot accomplish what he's already accomplished. So we are regressing when we are praying, to asking God to do things, thank you, that God has already accomplished for us and given to us in Christ Jesus. So if God has already given us glory and we're asking for glory, we're regressing. What is he supposed to do with the manual? He's supposed to take the manual and say, oh, Oh, acknowledge I have the manual. I don't need to call and ask Bishop again for the manual. I already possess the manual. What is the purpose of the manual? Is to show me how to operate this thing or how to fix this thing. So what is he supposed to do? Open the manual and start to read what's in the manual and see what he needs to do, what he already has to work with in the manual, right? And start applying what's in the manual. Now, when he gets to a particular paragraph, where there are some instructions, he says, oh, this is confusing. I'm not sure what he's talking about here. What is he supposed to do? Pick up the phone and say, Bishop, on page five, paragraph two, this is what it says. I don't understand it. It's confusing. I really need you to help me understand what to do with this. That's, that's a request. Now he's made a fresh request. I can respond to that because I can give him that knowledge. I can give him that wisdom. I can give him that understanding. And once he gets it, he can apply it. And then he's going to come to something again, and he'll call me and say, Bishop, I need help here. And every time he asks for understanding and wisdom, and for me to give him knowledge of what he has, I will be there to supply it. He then takes it and applies it. But if he is spending every day asking me for what I've already given him, he's wasting his time, he's wasting my time, we're going nowhere, we're simply regressing. So as we pray about God's glory, don't waste your time praying for glory if God has already given you glory. Here's another prayer God cannot answer. God cannot answer a prayer where you tell him to do something for you. He told you to do for yourself. 
uh -huh. especially when in giving you the responsibility of doing it, he gave you the equipment to do it. He gave you the authority to do it. He gave you the power to do it. He put the authority and the power at your disposal and said, now take this authority, take this power, and you ahead, you go and do it. I told you God can I pray for you. That one is for you to do. Right? So here's an example of a prayer we pray. God send the spirit. God open the heavens. God let the spirit fall. Oh God let the spirit fall. God said, oh. You're asking me to send the spirit. You're asking for the spirit to fall. You're regressing. That's a prayer you should have prayed 3,000 years ago. That's a prayer David could pray. That's a prayer for Elijah to pray. But since Jesus came, my goodness, since the cross, have you read in Acts chapter 2 that when they were gathered together in one accord, that something began to happen and they began to hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind? Don't you know Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send the Spirit and on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came? I cannot send him because he's already sent. I cannot give him because he's already given. In, in, in layman's term, I don't have him. You have him. He's not in heaven. He's on earth. Are you hearing me? So we're wasting time asking him to give us the spirit when really he has already given us the spirit. So what are we supposed to do? We're, we're supposed to be saying and we're supposed to be acknowledging what we already have been given. And our prayer for glory should primarily focus on God through this prayer, through the time I'm spending with you. I'm praying for a greater revelation. I'm praying for a greater understanding. I'm praying for a greater comprehension of the glory that you have already given to me and how to walk in this glory in every situation. How do I walk in this glory in my family? How do I walk in this glory when doing business? How do I walk in this glory when, when, when doing ministry? That's the prayer. Not God send the spirit, but God thank you for the spirit. God thank you for the spirit. God, you see, hear me. When it comes to the glory, there's some things God has already done. And the need is not for God to do it again. The need is for the revelation of what God has done. So the purpose of prayer, you hear me? You don't pray because you think prayer is the means by which you will acquire a glory that you don't already have. You don't pray because you believe prayer is the means by which you will qualify for glory. If you are praying thinking that through praying for four hours or five hours, you are going to acquire a glory that you do not have, or you're going to qualify for a glory you do not deserve, you are regressing. That is an empty prayer. That is a prayer that cannot be answered. Because God has already given you the glory. The glory has already been acquired. And that glory was acquired for you by Jesus Christ through the cross. One, two, three, four, five. The rest of you, you don't have it. I said the glory has already been acquired and deposited. And the reality is you have been glorified already. Our problem is not lack of glory. Our problem is lack of knowledge 
of the glory that we already have in Christ Jesus. Our problem is a lack of knowledge of walking in that glory. Let me show you, lest you think I'm just speaking from my head. Look at John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 22. I want you to see something because our minds need to be renewed. In this year of glory, we need to see ourselves like we've never seen ourselves. John chapter 17, verse 22. Let's read this together, everybody. And the glory which you gave me, I have... Come on, let's read that again. And the glory which you gave me, I have what? So if I say to Jesus, give me your glory, give me your glory, give me your glory, I need your glory. He can't answer that prayer. Because he will say, listen, I told you the glory that the Father gave me, I have already given to you. So you already have the glory. The glory is already yours. You have already been glorified. Now, you understand why we need to pray? Because even as I speak it, I don't fully comprehend it. You don't fully comprehend it. And that's why we need to grow in the knowledge of and the revelation of the glory that we have. So one reason I should give myself to prayer is because prayer is the means by which the glory is revealed and unveiled and we grow in our understanding of and the knowledge of that glory. And the more we grow in the understanding and knowledge of the glory, the more we can walk in it and experience its power. Now, let me, let me comment further. The glory that God gave to Jesus, he has given to you. But what is this glory? John chapter 1 uh, says, And the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we did what? We beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. So the glory of Jesus is the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father. In the Old Testament, God said, I will not share my glory with any other. In the New Covenant, Jesus says, the glory that you gave me, God. Oh, which is the glory of the only begotten Son. I'm going to share it. I'm not going to keep it for myself. The same glory I have, I have given to them. So the glory I have and the glory you have is equal to, it is to the same degree, in fact, it's the exact same glory of Jesus. So you are in Christ as he is. Now you understand why we have to spend every day saying, Lord, open my eyes, show me your glory, reveal to me your glory, help me to understand your glory so I can walk in it. Because eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. It has not entered in the hearts of man the things God has in store for us. These things are beyond our own ability to figure them out. They have to be revealed to us by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is given to us, Jesus said, 
in John chapter 16, he says the spirit will, re will take of the things of mine and he will do what? Reveal them to you. So the purpose of the spirit is to take the things of Jesus, his glory, and make it known to us. Our problem is we don't know. In a year of glory, there's an increased hunger for the revelation and the knowledge of that glory. So our prayers should be focused on growing in the revelation of the glory which has been given to us, which we already have. And it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to make that glory known. I don't have time, maybe next week. And it is the, it is the purpose of the gospel to reveal the glory. glory has already been given let's take it let's take it to another chip first God, I want you to see I want you to see this thing I want you to see it go to 2nd Corinthians 3 verse 16 go to verse 15 I'm going to read from verse 15 uh, to 18 go to verse 15 all right are you ready can we read this together in fact since some of you kind of meditating too much go ahead and stand your, your, your meditation is getting deep. <laughs> Amen. Raise your hand and say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say you spirit of slumber. I rebuke you in Jesus name. Alright. Let's read this. But even to this day. When Moses is read. A veil lies on their heart. Okay. For the sake of context. He was talking about the Old Testament dispensation. In the Old Testament, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, when he came down from the mountain, the Bible says there was a glory that was shining on his face. But Moses covered his face so the people would not see the glory. He also says that that glory that Moses carried faded away. It didn't last forever. And the truth is, one of the reasons Moses covered the glory because he didn't want the people to see it was fading away. Hmm? That was the glory of the Old Testament. It was a temporary glory that did not increase, but that decreased and faded away. Why? Because the Old Covenant was inferior to the New. And everything in the Old was temporary. But Paul said, he said, listen, the Old Testament was a ministry of death. It produced death. It didn't produce life. It produced condemnation. But he said even a ministry in a covenant that produced death, that produced a glory that was temporary, yet it was glorious. Then he goes on to say, how much more? How much more shall the glory of the new covenant that is presided over by the spirit where Jesus is the high priest and which glory lasts forever? How much more glorious will the glory in the New Testament be as compared to the old. In fact, he says the glory of the New Testament is so superior to the glory of the old that if you were to put the two together, it would be as though the glory of the old didn't exist. It would be like taking a 100-watt bulb and the light produced by that bulb and you take maybe a 5-watt bulb and put it next together. The 5-watt the bulb would produce so little light compared to the 100-watt that it would seem like it doesn't even exist. It makes no difference. The glory of the new covenant, when you set it by, besides the glory of the old, 
that glory that shone on Moses is so much more superior to the old that it's as though the old had no glory at all. So we are in a glorious covenant that is exceedingly glorious, gloriously glorious, far more glorious than the covenant that Elijah understood and worked under. I'm going somewhere. Because I want you to see if a man praying under a covenant that is so much more inferior to the covenant that you and I pray under, the results he gets will fade and fail in comparison to the results we get when we pray under the new covenant. The power Elijah was able to release is nothing compared to the power you will release when you pray in the new covenant. The kind of power available to you and me when we pray makes the power in the old covenant that we marvel at look so amazing. The only reason we glory when we hear Elijah prayed because we haven't set what Elijah did against what Christ has enabled us to do. The Bible says the, the power that works in us is according to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Thank God that Elijah could get results, but if Elijah in a covenant that was, was nothing compared to the covenant and the glory of the covenant we're in could get those results, hear me, your prayers? I don't know where that came from, but you know what it means. Your prayer, because you're praying under a better covenant with better promises, with a better high priest, Oh my goodness, next week I will show you some of the things that you got to use in the new covenant that was not available to, 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 to Elijah. When you pray, turn to the neighbor and say, when you pray, under this new covenant, hey, 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 hey. the devil trembles when you pray. Angels stand at attention when you pray. God hears when you pray. Why? Because you're praying in the new covenant. So let's read this. Let's consider the glory. Verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the, the, the glory was inferior, yet it was hidden. But he says, when you come to the new covenant, God removes the veil. In other words, everything that would hinder you from being able to see the glory and grow in the revelation of the glory and to be transformed by that glory has been taken away in Christ Jesus. There is no legal basis for you and me not growing in our revelation of the glory and being transformed by that glory. It's all taken away. All the limitations connected to revelation concerning the glory of God legally have been removed. It's just up to you and me now how much we want to see it. It's up to you and me how much we want to know it. It's up to you and me how much we want to grow in the revelation of it. There's no legal basis now for you not seeing and experiencing and growing in the revelation of the glory of God. Say, Bishop, we may be sleeping, but by the grace of God, we are listening. I'm not stopping until I finish you. So you just, you just as well. And I'm not doing it for my benefit, I'm doing it for yours. Let's read this. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. Freedom. It means freedom to see. Freedom to behold the glory. Freedom to grow in the revelation of the glory. Freedom to look into the glory of God and be transformed by it. There's freedom. You are free. Now, it's up to you whether you will use that freedom or not. 
but you are free to behold the glory and to be transformed to it. All the limitations, sin has been taken out of the way. Are you hearing me? In fact, the Bible says that there is a mystery that we're going to read about. And the Bible says that mystery, a divine secret, was kept hidden by God. For ages, God hid this thing. He didn't let anybody know. He didn't let Moses know. He didn't let Joshua know. None of the problem. He kept it. He hid it from them. But he was hiding it from them for us. And now that Christ has come and the cross is behind us, that which he had been hiding, not letting Moses know, not letting David know, not letting Joshua, God says now that Jesus has died and your sins have been removed. Now that I've done the impossible, I've exchanged your sin nature and I've given you a nature just like mine. Now that I've created you after my image in righteousness and true holiness, after I've made you holy, unblameable, unreproachable in my sight, here is the mystery. Here is the mystery. All the limitations are removed through prayer, through meditation. Here is the mystery. I want to reveal everything about this mystery. And when you grow in the revelation of this mystery, you are going to experience transformation. Let's read it. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. are being transformed into the same image from what? Now watch it. The glory of the Old Testament, when it faded, it became less and less and less until it disappeared. The glory of the new covenant is just the opposite. It goes, the revelation of that glory keeps increasing. We see it more and more. It becomes more blatant. It becomes more evident. It becomes stronger and stronger. And throughout eternity, we will keep seeing the glory and we will see more and we'll see more and we'll see more and we'll never exhaust the revelation of the glory. That's why when the angels were, 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 were in Isaiah chapter 6 and Isaiah saw the angels and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the Bible tells us everywhere they were just saying glory, the angels glory and glory and glory. These angels have been around for a long time, but they're still saying glory, glory, because keep, they keep getting a new revelation. They keep seeing more and more of his glory. The one thing you need, and the one thing I need, is not glory, but the revelation of that glory, so that it keeps increasing in our lives. Are you here? We all with unveiled face beholding as what? In, now hear me. How many of you looked in the mirror today? I can tell, those of you who raised your hand, I can tell you didn't look in the mirror. I'm just joking. How many of you looked in the mirror? When you looked in the mirror, what did you see? You saw yourself. When you look in the mirror, you see yourself. The scripture says, you looked in the mirror and you saw yourself. But when you saw yourself, you saw glory. You didn't hear me. In the new covenant, when I look for glory, I see glory in me. Oh, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. Didn't hear me. He says we behold the glory, but we behold the glory 
When I look at me, I see the glory. Why? Because the glory is in me. Let's go on. Verse 19. Uh, verse 19. There, go, go, go back. To that, verse 18. Go back to verse 18. Is that verse 19? Okay, maybe I'm missing. But, but the Bible talks, oh, it was, it's First Corinthians, I mean it's Colossians 1.27, which talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you behold yourself, you see the glory. And what is the glory? The glory is Christ in you. So what this means is, listen to me, it means that you and I have become one with the glory. And what the Spirit of God wants to do is to reveal this glory to us more and more. And the more we see that glory, the more we will manifest that glory outwardly. And that's what the transformation is all about. So the more I see the glory of God inside of me and grow in my revelation of that glory, the more my life will be transformed by it. The more my, 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 my circumstances will be transformed by it. The more my family will be transformed by it. By that glory working in me. Are you hearing me? When your finances meet the glory of God, your finances will yield. When your health meets the glory of God, your health will surrender to the glory of God. Any problem you meet, will surrender to the glory of God. And the Bible reveals that you are now one with the glory. The glory dwells in you, which means that you house the glory. You carry the glory. And everywhere you show up in 2020, you ought to realize the glory showed up because I house the glory, I carry the glory. In the Old Testament, when somebody touched the glory that didn't have a legal right to do so, that person perished. And I'm telling you, anything that touches the glory inside of you, that does not have the legal right to your life, will bow, will surrender, and will be destroyed by the glory of God. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? I said anything that touches the glory of God, and you are the glory of God, that has no legal right to the glory, will bow to the glory, and will be destroyed by the glory, and will surrender to the glory in the name of Jesus. Say hallelujah! One day, they took the glory of God and placed it in the temple, and they took Dagon and put him next to them. And the Bible says when they set Dagon next to the glory of God, every morning when they got up, Dagon was on his knees, Dagon was on his face, Dagon was begging for mercy. I'm telling you, every Dagon God, every curse, every work of the enemy, everything the enemy plans against you in 2020, when it comes into contact with the glory of God on the inside of you, it will bow, it will surrender, it will fall, it will yield to the glory of God on the inside of you in the name of Jesus. I'm not done, but it looks like you're done, so I'll stop. 
Thank you. Shanda, that's what you need to say. You see, you see, you see, you see, we, we go from what? Glory. You just got a new revelation. God just showed you and me something about the glory. I had never connected Dagon to me and the glory until now. So that's how the Holy Spirit will keep giving us revelation. And when we see the glory, we're tra I'm transformed. The next time Dagon shows up, I already know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to sleep and wake up the one morning and Dagon will be on his face. Are you hearing me? So, so, no, did you hear me? Dagon is going to bow every time he meets me. Because every time he meets me, he's meeting the glory of God. Dagon will bow. Raise your hand and say, Dagon, I have discovered by revelation the glory of God on the inside of me. And every time you show up in 2020, you will bow, you will surrender, you will submit to the glory of God in me. I decree it, I declare it, I expect it, and I see it happening in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Say hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him, let's praise him. Glory be to God. revelation that you've given us let this word now take root in our hearts let it produce transformation in our thinking let it produce transformation in our living father our desire is to keep growing in the revelation of the glory of God inside of us in Jesus name so pray we must pray we will my prayer your prayer it's powerful. Your prayer, one, is to reveal to you the glory that is already yours so that you can walk in it and demonstrate it. But secondly, and I'm not going to preach this, but I do need to say it. Prayer is the means by which you will release the glory and the power that is already on the inside of you to change people and to change circumstances. People need to be changed. Circumstances need to be changed. It takes power to change people, power to change circumstances. That is what Elijah knew. And when he prayed, he changed people and changed circumstances. It takes power. And you know there are people in your life and the circumstances in your life and in your community and in your church that need changing. And you know it's going to take power to do so. You've learned today that the power that is required to change is already inside of you. And by prayer, you release that power that will change people and change circumstances. Elijah did it. But if a man under the old covenant can get that kind of result, how much more power can you release in the new covenant in Jesus' name? Thanks for listening today. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. To learn more about Bethel or to support this ministry financially, please visit us at www.bethelcityofhope.com. You can also connect with us via Facebook or Instagram at Bethel City of Hope. Thanks again. Have a great day.